Thank you for listening to Crossroads Community Church. At Crossroads Community Church, our vision is to awaken the city of Pittsburgh and surrounding areas by creating cool places to experience God in local neighborhoods throughout Pittsburgh and beyond. Now here is this week's message. This week we have a rather unique honor uh, because you guys know it's Memorial Day weekend. So we, we have the opportunity to just kind of be thankful for and remember the sacrifice of uh, those kind of men and women who gave their lives so that we could enjoy this type of freedom. Uh, but we also have some people that are graduating this year, so we have a, a, a dual benefit, so to speak. We get to uh, kind of look at and rejoice in the lives of those who are graduating. Now, here's the odd thing. Now, uh, we're the high school graduates. You guys that graduated high school, hands up. Okay. Give them. Yes, thank you. We're the college graduates. Okay. There's a... There's a lot more college graduates than high school graduates, but they all headed out of town for the Memorial Day weekend. Most of them did. Uh, but there's um, now I think there's also is there anyone graduating from like either elementary to junior high or junior high to there you go. Give them also they deserve their credit. All right. OK. Uh, so uh, that is our focus this morning is to really just kind of encourage and acknowledge uh, the um, achievement of our graduates. Now, let me ask this, uh, because I know the younger people probably don't know what this means, but some of you guys that are a little bit older generationally, uh, did you kind of have a momentary flashback when you saw that, The Graduate, on the screen? How many of you guys have seen the movie, The Graduate? Okay, all right. How many of you guys were wondering, where is he going to go with this based on the movie? <laughs> okay, all right. I, I was actually searching for a clip from the graduate that I could use, but I figured that'd be way too high on the shock your mama scale to throw a clip from that up there. And I don't want to encourage people to go watch the movie. So um, here's, here's what I like to do. I just want to uh, encourage and acknowledge what our graduates, because it's an accomplishment to complete a certain level of education. And whether or not you're moving on to another level, just completing uh, a past level uh, is a good thing, Okay. Uh, because our culture and our society, even though uh, we may look and say, hey, you know what, globally it may appear that you know, the United States is not doing as well educationally-wise as some of the other countries, but in the United States and globally, education is looked at as an extremely uh, high-valued thing to attain. Uh, and we think today that if you hit your bachelor's, that you, wow, you're extremely educated, or a master's, you're extremely educated, or even a doctorate, that you are super educated, but even getting a doctorate by today's standards is way down on the educational totem scale, all right? So let me share something with you. I looked up on the internet, and there are people who have taken getting degrees to like an extreme level, and I'm not talking about the people who take the time it takes to get a degree to an extreme level, like 10 years to get a four-year degree or whatever. I'm not talking about those people. I'm talking about people who have invested their lives in getting multiple degrees. Uh, let me share this with you. And I got this on the Internet, so that means it's – there you go. All right. Uh, there is – if 
if I can find my list. There is uh, a listing of, and you can go Google this. This is safe to Google. Uh, a listing that's called the 10 most educated people on the planet. I'm not going to share all 10 with you. I'm just going to share three. And believe it or not, none of our pictures comes up when you Google this. All right? I expected mine to be somewhere in the 12th or 13th. Didn't, didn't come up at all. All right? The number three guy, if I can pronounce his name right, he has over 35 years of study. His name is Zhao Baokwan. Baokwan, I may be pronouncing it right. He's got nine degrees total, and he's in the process of finishing up his 10th degree. This was as of uh, November 2011. He has uh, three doctorates, two master's, a uh, bunch of other bachelor's, bachelor degrees, and he has technical certification diplomas. And this is what got me. He estimates, this is his estimate, that his studies have taken him over 126,300 hours to complete. Um, that's not credit hours. That's just his hours, time he spent studying. And he holds the record in China for the most number of degrees completed. Now, there's another guy, another overachiever, and his name is Benjamin Bolger. Uh, he has 11 degrees total, and he's gotten them from some of the most prestigious colleges in the world. Uh, he graduated at 19 from the University of Michigan with a bachelor's degree. Uh, he got a doctorate from Harvard. Uh, he holds degrees from Columbia, Brown, Stanford, Dartmouth, Oxford, uh, all kind of other degrees. And here's the thing. Uh, what makes his story even amazing is that he has struggled with dyslexia his entire life. And he's got like... 11 degrees. Now, the number one person, at least according to this website, uh, this guy has 27 degrees. <clears throat> That's a lot of school time. And there are people who just like, I can't wait to get out of fifth grade. And he has like 27 degrees. Now, this is what's interesting. He's 67 years old, and he works at Western Michigan University. So he's taken advantage of, hey, you get a discount in your schooling. And uh, he has, over his lifetime, gotten 27 degrees. He has 19 masters, uh, two associates. Uh, he's got one Ph.D. And this is, the, this is the amazing thing for those of us that are thinking, why is he doing this? He says he doesn't do it for work. He just loves to learn. He just likes to learn new stuff. And his wife has also taken up the hobby. She has seven degrees of her own, so she's way above me, too. She's somewhere down in that 12th, 13th list. Uh, but he's currently working on two more master's degrees, and he says, I'm going to keep doing this as long as I can until, you know, God or something else stops me. But, I mean, that doesn't, that, that, that's the view. That's what our, our, our society and our culture and our planet, because these are people from all over the world, this is how they view education. They view it as something that is valuable, it's valued, and it's definitely something worth attaining. So, again, hats off to you guys. But we also know that you can have more degrees than a thermometer and still be kind of like as dumb as a rock. I mean, just because you learn something doesn't mean that you have common sense or whatever. Uh, so um, it doesn't mean that if you don't have a degree, it means you don't know anything. It just means these guys have taken a lot of time, put a lot of energy into learning and attaining a degree. Now, biblically, shift to the Bible. Because in the Bible, there are a lot of educated people as well. Now, they weren't given a degree from a place like this, but they were extremely educated. The first guy uh, that comes to mind, if I can get this to work, there you go, is the Apostle Paul. We've talked about him in and out. He was educated uh, by a mentor, so to speak, uh, a guy named Gamil. Uh, and if you look through the book of Acts in the New Testament, this is the guy who sat down him and taught him all of these things about the Old Testament. Now, to you and me, 
that is someone teaching you Bible stuff. To him, it was learning his culture and his nation's history. It would be the equivalent of us, uh, you know, if we talk to a professor of American history uh, who was the most experienced person in our nation on American history, it had nothing to do with religion. It just had to do with learning about our nation, where we come from, how we came to be, and, and kind of looking at, well, where are we going and all that stuff. Uh, so the Apostle Paul, and then there's the guy, how many of you guys remember? King Solomon. All right, now Solomon, uh, he's a little different because his wisdom and education came kind of like from God. He got a direct revelation from God. Now, how many of you guys uh, recall the... the, the um, the narrative uh, in the Bible where it talks about one of the first uh, things that he encountered were these two women who were arguing over the baby. You guys remember that? And, and, and the narrative goes that they were arguing over, one woman said they lived together, one woman said, this is my baby. And the other woman said, no, this is my baby. So they said, how are we going to resolve this? So they took it to the king, and they said, King Solomon, what are you going to do? Both these women are claiming the baby is theirs. And he pulled out a sword which is the coolest part of the story in my... But anyway, he pulled out a sword, and he threatened to slice the baby in half. And so the one woman said, no, don't slice the baby in half, because then he was like, then you can each have a half, and problem solved. And the one woman said, no, don't slice it in half. Give it to her. I'd rather see the baby alive, even if I can't have it. The other woman said, slice it in half. Who cares? Then we won't have this argument anymore. And Solomon said, you know, okay. Now, here's the thing. People have been using that story to make, like, wisdom-like decisions for, like, generations since then. And I don't know if, I I think I shared this before, but when I was in third grade, I had a teacher who did that. And it was over a pencil. I was writing, had a pencil, whatever we were doing, put the pencil down. And I remember this because it was like, I don't get it. And put the pencil down to either something else, went to get the pencil, and my friend, Jacques, French guy, he had the pencil. And I'm like, dude, that's my pencil. And he's like, no, this is my pencil. And I'm like, no, that's my pencil. And it's not like we were fighting over the pencil, but we were fighting over the pencil. And the teacher, her name is Miss Ficarella, third grade, she comes in and she's like, hey, um, let me tell you this story. And she tells us the story of Solomon and slicing the, getting, you know, threatening to slice the baby in half. And she looks at us and she says, I'm going to break the pencil in half. And Jacques, I guess, was a lot quicker than me because he said, no, don't break the pencil in half. Give it to Floyd. And I'm sitting there thinking, are you going to stab me with a pencil? I don't, I, don't, I don't get the correlation of the story. And she's, she's like, you know, the baby who threatened to fit in half and the one who didn't want the baby in half. It was, and I'm like, I'm not pregnant. I, it wasn't sinking into me what she was trying to get across. And then she gave the pencil to Jacques, and I'm like, why did you give him my pencil? Is he pregnant? Does he get the pencil? I don't, it, it didn't sink in. I didn't get the story. But from a biblical standpoint, here's what uh, the Bible says. In 1 Kings, now, um, you guys can pull out your Bible and follow along for the sake of time. I'm going to put all the verses up here, or you can follow along up here. In 1 Kings chapter 3, 27 to 28, it says, Then the king gave his ruling. This is what Solomon said after that whole ordeal when the women came to him. He said, Give the living baby to the first woman. Do not kill him. She is his mother. When all Israel heard the verdict the king had given, they held the king in awe because they saw that he had wisdom from God to administer justice. Now, it's not that he had knowledge from God, because knowledge is what you get when you go and you get all these degrees. Wisdom is how do I apply 
this knowledge in real-world, everyday situations. Uh, it also says in First Kings chapter 4, verses 29 and 30, God gave Solomon wisdom and very great insight and a breath of understanding as measureless as the sand on the seashore. Solomon's wisdom was greater than the wisdom of all the men of the east and greater than all the wisdom of Egypt. So according to the biblical standards, Solomon had all of, not just this knowledge, which would be the insight and breadth of understanding, but he had wisdom on how to apply it. And it, it wasn't just in one area. And if you look through what the Bible says about Solomon, he was versed in like zoology. Is that the correct term? It is for today. Zoology, um, sea zoology, whatever that's called for the sea life. Uh, ecosystems, agricultural, engineering, financial, military strategy. He had the equivalent of degrees, knowledge in all of these diverse areas and the wisdom to use it. And then it goes on to say uh, in First Kings chapter 10, King Solomon was greater in riches, riches and wisdom than all the other kings of the earth. The whole world sought audience with Solomon to hear the wisdom God had put on his heart. And a lot of people say, did the whole world, was it the whole world? And the answer is, it was, in relation to the first part, the whole world consisting of all these other kingdoms of the earth. So the little tribe that was somewhere that didn't have a king, but they just had like 27 people and some guy over them, they probably didn't come to Solomon. But all of the acknowledged monarchies on the earth at that planet, their kingdom sent people to Solomon to learn from him, to glean so how they could do the things that he was doing, all right? So now there was uh, the Apostle Paul, biblically educated, Solomon educated by God. But here's the guy who, for me, personal favorite, and his name is Moses. How many of you guys remember the story of Moses? Uh, personally, I like the Prince of Egypt version better than the Ten Commandments version, but Charlton Heston did a great job in the Ten Commandments. Um, now, here's what it says about Moses in Acts chapter 7. It says, At that time Moses was born, and he was no ordinary child. For three months he was cared for in his father's house. When he was placed outside, Pharaoh's daughter took him and brought him up as her own son. Moses was educated in all the wisdom of the Egyptians and was powerful in speech and action. Now, we just read where Solomon was educated in more than that, but he got direct revelation from God. Moses was taught the way all you guys that are graduating, the way you were taught, book learning. He had to learn all of these things. And the reason why it says all the wisdom of the Egyptians is because the Egyptians made some significant contributions to history, which all you guys learned in school that are graduating, but probably the day after you forgot and will probably never recall again. But Solomon had all this knowledge that God gave him. Moses had all this knowledge that he learned. And the reason it says he was powerful in speech and action is because Pharaoh was the king of Egypt. They were called pharaohs instead of kings. Moses was brought up in his house as a prince in his house, like Prince William, Harry, William and Harry, those guys, the way they were educated and all that stuff. And he was brought up in that house. And it says he was powerful in speech and action because when he spoke, it was with the authority of the pharaoh and the entire governmental system of Egypt. And when he did something, it was with the authority of the pharaoh and the entire government. So he was powerful in speech and action. Now, here's some of the things that he was educated in. Um, he was educated in, uh, how many guys have seen pictures of the pyramids? All right. The, the technology, we call it technology now, it wasn't that, that they used 
to build that. The surveying skills, the construction, the quarrying uh, made significant contributions to what even is used today. And just looking at the temples, uh, the pyramids, um, those are that the whole architectural genius, how they managed to do that. They didn't have cranes. Right? They didn't have, like, we couldn't call a construction company. They didn't have extreme home makeover, so it wasn't six days, move that camel. And then you see, like, the whole temple thing. They had to, like, do it literally manually and build the equipment that they used to do it. So they're surveying their construction skills, their quarrying skills, but they were also um, in math. Now, how many of you guys are math lovers? And not a single, well, one graduate, but okay. All right. Uh, now, here's the deal. The Egyptians uh, are said to have contributed uh, their, their and, and it would make sense with all the things they did, uh, they are contributed, contributed to um, the significant use of fractions and decimals in our current mathematical system, that that's believed that that first came from them. So you can either thank them or blame them, depending on how you did in your math class. Uh, but also, uh, they had medicinal contributions that are still used today. In addition to that, um, some people believe that they contributed to the first known use of ships, uh, not like, hey, me building a raft and I'm going to float, but to carry multiple people and cargo, which would make sense as they were building the, uh, the pyramids. Also, they are believed to, con- to have contributed to the creation of some of the first known peace treaties between nations. Also, they're believed to have been, and again, it's on the Internet, so that means it's true, They are believed to have been the first world superpower. Now, not the first world dominating nation, but the first world superpower. So all of that wisdom, all of that knowledge that Moses had, uh, he went through what you guys as graduates went through, just years of learning and book learning and knowledge and tests and all that stuff. And here's the problem. It was 40 years before he got to use any of it. It was 40 years before he could take all that learning that he had and begin to apply it in a significant way because he went through where he uh, uh, killed an Egyptian person and then he ran, uh, running from the law, he didn't want to get persecuted, ran and spent 40 years in the desert. Uh, And if you look in Acts chapter 7, verse 30 to 32, it says, After 40 years had passed, an angel appeared to Moses in the flames of a burning bush in the desert near Mount Sinai. When he saw this, he was amazed at the sight. As he went over to look more closely, he heard the Lord's voice. I am the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And when I read that in my head, it sounds like, I am the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Take off your shoes. Yeah, I mean, it just, but, uh, and it says, Moses trembled with fear and did not dare to look. Because he realized he was in the presence of God. If you walk up to a bush and it starts talking to you, obviously you're going to be in awe of what's going on. Uh, but here's the thing. He spent 40 years before he was able to use it. And then God called him and said, I have something for you to do. And he sent him, and we know the rest of the story. And he uh, went back to Egypt. He led the Israelites who were in slavery, in bondage. He led them out of slavery into the desert. And during his leading them out, all of his leadership skills, all of his engineering skills, all of those medicinal skills were used to preserve and help maintain and set up a, not just a legal system, but a justice system uh, for like a million and a half people over a period of 40 years living in the desert with nothing but what they could carry. 
Now, uh, here's the difference. Here's, here's, here's why this is significant. Because Moses had the skills, and he could have stepped into a career. You know, he could have said, hey, I'm ready to be Pharaoh. But instead, he waited, and he used his skills based on God's calling on his life. And there is a difference between a career and a calling, and I'll tell you right off the bat, a career pays better. But there is a difference. Now, uh, three differences, satisfaction, security, and sanity. All right? Uh, If you are focusing on a career and there is nothing wrong with that, but you will be extremely satisfied. Right? When you step into a career, you get the opportunity to advance. You get the opportunity to, to, like, move up. You get the opportunity to see accomplishments and have people tell you about your accomplishments and thank you and acknowledge your contributions. So uh, stepping into a career, a great thing. And people are extremely satisfied when they find a career that they like. Now, here's the problem. And this is not a bad thing, but it's the truth. If you step into your calling, you're not going to be as satisfied. Because if you step into a calling, a calling being you go in to do that thing that God has called you, equipped you, and created you to do, you're never going to be satisfied. You're always going to want to do more, give more, be more, share more, learn more. You're never going to reach a level where you say, okay, that's it, I've come. Because if it's a calling, you're always going to seek to do and continue to learn more, to give more, to do more, to use the skills more. And I, I, and I think I said this before, when I first felt like God's calling to be a pastor, um, I ran for it for several years because I just didn't want to do it. And then finally sat down with my pastor and I said, hey, you know what? Um, I can't run from this anymore, but honestly, I don't want to do this. Because it is the most underappreciated, underpaid, ridiculous job on the planet. And I just didn't want to do it. But I, 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 I got to be honest with you. Um, because it's me working in my calling, I would not be satisfied if I couldn't do this. And I'll share this with you. Um, just a, a, as a church here, we've gotten people that have come in and said, hey, we want to uh, take this congregation and they want it to be a part of their denomination or whatever because they see the things that we're doing here and they're impressed by what God is doing through you guys. And I've had people come to me and say, hey, we want to hire you for this or for that. And recently, um, not in a uh, pastoral capacity, there was an opportunity to um, just work as a inter, uh, internet social media manager. And I was like, wow, that'd be cool. I literally get to play on the internet all day and get paid for it. And as I was looking at this, I was like, well, let's see, I could do this much, and I could do this much. And in my head, I was trying to figure out how much time I would have to put in so I could be done with that so that I could continue to do this. Because even if, you know, that paid an extremely enormous amount of money, which it did, it would only be a means that allows me to continue to do this because I would never be satisfied doing that. I'd be unsatisfied, but I'd be on beaches somewhere lying in much better clothing and spending lots more money. But I still would not be satisfied doing that. Because when you're fulfilling your calling, you're never going to be satisfied enough. You're never going to feel like, hey, I'm done. You're always going to feel like, I just want to do more. Now, uh, the other thing is security because, like I said, if you've got a career, you have potential security. I mean, you've got a steady job. You've got 
potential advancements. And I think I told you guys before, um, uh, when I left the military, I went into telecommunications, and I was getting continual uh, just promotions and bonuses and, like, buy a car bonuses, like seven to $10,000 bonuses, um, which I don't get here, in case you're wondering. Uh, but, like, bonuses, and it was great. I, I mean, I was happy. I, I had security. I could pay my bills. I didn't have to worry about it. But here's the thing. When you give into your calling, you don't have that security because finances are not what's driving you. The calling is what's driving you. The ability to do what God has called, created, and equipped you to do. And that's why, um, and, and I didn't understand this either back in the day, but now I have a full understanding of it, of especially talking to people. Um, that's why there are people, you've heard the term starving artists, and you wonder, why aren't you at least go out and work at McDonald's? Go do something so you're bringing in finances, and they're like, it's, who cares about the money? This is what I have to do. I don't have security, but I'm doing what God called, created, and equipped me to do. And I'll continue to do this. And it, it, this is true because I've, I've, I've been in circumstances where, and, and you guys have heard when people are laid off of work, and there have been people that were like, hey, I don't care that you're laying me off. I will do this for free because this is what I enjoy doing. You're not going to pay me anyway, but at least you'll still get the work done. And they want to continue to do it because that's what they're called, created, and equipped to do. And when you're in that area, then you know what? You may not have the security, but you have at least the, 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 the knowledge that it, it, it's almost like a burning passion that you cannot let go. And this is where it comes to the third part, which is the sanity. Because if you're getting job satisfaction and people are acknowledging your accomplishments and you're secure, you have a little bit of sanity. You know the bills are being paid. You know what's going on. But when you are following your calling, honestly, it's like crazy ridiculous because you don't care about money. You're not satisfied enough. You can never be satisfied enough because you can never achieve that goal where, like, I'm done. And this is why I've seen there's a difference. And I'll just stick to the pastoral area. I've seen pastors that retire, and, and, and they go off, and they buy an RV, and they travel around Pittsburgh visiting sites or whatever. And I've seen other pastors that retire, and literally the next day they are looking for work somewhere else fill in as an interim pastor, to go uh, just on speaking engagements because they, they have this burning desire to share God's word. And so there's, hey, you know what? I may not be doing this for pay anymore, but I still have to do this. And they'll spend the rest of their lives doing what God has called them to do. So let me share this with all of the graduates who I have just not encouraged but encourage you guys because regardless of whether you're getting a job or a career or fulfilling your calling, uh, just do something. Just do something, whatever it is. Find something to do. And if it's an area where, um, let me give you a hint. If it's an area where you come back every day and you're like, I hate this, I don't care about the paycheck, and, and you're frustrated and angry, first of all, that's not a good career. Second of all, it's definitely not you fulfilling your calling. But 
when you go in and you're doing it and you come back happy and you come back excited and you find yourself thinking and dwelling on it at, at home, not so you can increase your paycheck, just because you have joy in doing it, that's the best career ever. And it's likely that God is using you to fulfill your calling. Now, um, I tried to get as many graduates together as I could so I could do a little uh, videotape of them, but they were all, like I said, shoom, 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 heading out of town or just not responding to my Facebook messages. But I put together a little video clip uh, that we're going to watch, so take a look at this, and then I'll come back up. All right, I'm going to ask the band to come up, and I'm going to ask everyone to stand, uh, and we could just spend a moment praying for our graduates and then afterwards, there's some cake and stuff in the back uh, that we can celebrate with. If you're near a graduate, just kind of put your hand on them, grab their hand. <coughs> just bow your heads with me. God, we are just extremely grateful for just what you're doing in the lives of these people. And we pray for them. We pray uh, that they would find their calling. We pray that they would uh, be able to use the gifts and talents. We pray that they would be able to take the knowledge that they have learned and use it for your glory. We pray that they would be uh, successful, that they would be prosperous. We pray that they would be blessed in your sight. God, we pray that you would begin to remove obstacles that are stopping them from seeing the path that you have for them. Uh, we pray that they would, uh, just as they step out into whatever the next level that they're moving into, God, uh, we pray that you would be already preparing a way for them. And we pray that they would just do something to use the skills and talents that they have and the knowledge that they have. And we pray that they would just be blessed, God. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, before we go, we're going to sing one more song, and uh, I'll come back up and we'll be done. <laughs>